fair leaning in as we start. Hey, everybody. This. Yeah. What I basically said is that welcome to another episode of Overtime. We're coming to you uh, live remotely as Josh is actually on vacation. So he's in Georgia right now. We went into a fun story. In fact, you could probably hear his side of it if you just rewind a little bit. If you're watching <laughs> us live, thanks for hanging in there. If you're listening to this on podcasts, sorry, guys. There's always something I feel like we're figuring out. Uh, and I am getting the thumbs up from Christian that okay, thanks, all Christian. there that we can hear. So thank you, Christian. Um, yeah, we just talked about the movie night that is going to be happening this Friday on July 10th, provided the weather is is uh, enabling us to do that. We'll keep you posted by the afternoon if we have to cancel that due to weather, but we'll be watching the movie onward. And yeah, and Josh just kind of talked about the screen. We'll actually, I think, get to that as we kind of dive into this week's uh, message. But um, this week we wrapped up the Holy Spirit. Um, it, it was kind of a message that we started back in February, the Holy Spirit introduction. And then we kind of looked at the work of the Holy Spirit, specifically in the book of Acts. And so we were looking at Acts chapter 15 and a little bit of 16 and then Acts chapter 17 this week. But do you want to give us kind of a recap of what we've been talking about? Yeah, so i um, been studying the Holy Spirit uh, more the idea of um, if, the, <clears throat> as we'll learn in a couple of weeks, the, the Gospel of Luke, also written by the same guy who wrote the book of Acts, if the Gospel of Luke is a story about Jesus and his life. Then the Gospel of Acts is a story about the Holy Spirit, right? And how it empowers um, the, the church to go do the mission of the Gospel. So this whole idea that God created us, we messed it up, Jesus redeems us, and then we get to participate in the restoration of our world. And the way by which we get to do that is by being empowered by the Holy Spirit. What we see in the book of Acts, which I believe is pretty prescriptive and descriptive, is that the, the Word of God went out. Uh, the Spirit of God allowed people to interpret and understand the Word of God, and then they received that Word and then received the Spirit and then got in on uh, uh, participating in this really, really great work. And so if we look at our world and go, it's really, really broken, we all would agree. And if it seems like it's hopeless, that we wouldn't agree on because there is a plan for hope and a future and joy and peace and love and all those things. And um the missing ingredient, I hate to call it an ingredient, but the missing component of this whole uh, movement for restoration of the world is actually the, um, the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our churches. Mm -hmm. And so it just made sense that we would learn more about the Holy Spirit and then learn about how the Holy Spirit empowers people to go and do the work of the ministry and then also interpret what should be done and figure out how to make it simple for people outside uh, the faith. To, to come to Jesus and to connect with yeah. each other. So that's kind of what we've been walking through. And so this past week we studied um, Acts chapter 15 uh, and then Acts chapter 17. Uh, at least we did online. That was a long one in person. It was really, really hot. So we basically just landed on Acts 15. And luckily this upcoming week, Ben, you'll get to cover Acts chapter 16, yeah. kind of in between. So that that's, yeah. uh, and then we'll start the Gospel of Luke. So that's, yeah. The yeah, end I'm pretty it. excited for uh, Acts 16. And what was interesting is that this past weekend, it was July 4th and 5th, Saturday and Sunday. Um, but I thought it was really good how you tied in. You know, we're celebrating America's independence. But really what this entire series is about is, is not actually an independence, but more of a dependency on the Holy Spirit in our day-to-day -day life and going for what God has for us and living out the, the gospel as we're called to. So I thought that that was a really good connection that you had talked about in that. Um, as I guess as I'm going into this, I feel like Acts 15 
Um, I want to say that I feel like it was one of the first scriptures that I heard you talk about, because I think that this is a pretty, uh, this is, I don't know, dare I say one of your favorite passages. Like when we're talking about vision and mission and purpose, like Acts 15 is pretty big for you. And and like I said, I think that was one of the first scriptures that I remember you kind of talking about as you got here and making it simple for people to connect to Jesus. Did you want to talk about any of that? I don't know if I'm putting the cart ahead of the horse. Maybe we should dive into it. And then I asked that question, but I just figured I'd shoot from No, no, you know, it's funny. Um, Yeah, I do love the passage. Uh, So if you're going to hear me talk about mission and vision, there's two different pieces. I'm on uh, three, probably. I'm going to talk about first is John the Baptist quoting Isaiah, Luke 3, 4 through 6, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him, move every mountaintop, fill in every valley, make every crooked path straight so that all mankind can see or know, depending on the translation, uh, God's salvation. I really, really like that because for the first 10 years of ministry, maybe eight years, I had in my head that it was my job to save people, right? Mm. Which was so messed up because... Deep down, I knew I couldn't save myself, right? I had my own secrets, my own brokenness. And so, uh, long story short, it actually was a pretty, some pretty supernatural moments that led me, you know, waking up every night for two weeks. In fact, it's interesting, is one of the places I woke up a lot was when we were staying at my in-laws' house just for vacation. Literally, I'm looking at, you can, you can see the bed. <laughs> like So that literally is the same bedspread that well, I would wake up and... You know, then I'd wake up at Luke, I'd wake up at three o'clock in the morning, then again at six o'clock in the morning. I don't get up at six, right? And so that led to that Luke 3 6. It says, And all mankind will know God's salvation. I just remember going, Yes, that's it. That's the picture of the church, right? We want all mankind to know God's salvation. Wait, but we can't do that. So, the, you know, the, the prescriptive part of, in fact, this is what I covered um, on the week that uh, I preached when uh, they voted on, they judged yeah. me. The whole, the whole church judged me about whether or not I could. <laughs> have the job, right? It's that, because I do think it's that prescriptive. We are actually called to remove the obstacles, prepare the way of the Lord, because he does all the work. So that'd be one. The other one is uh, the four friends, the paralytic, right? Uh, yeah. uh, lowering them down to the roof because it's just so messed up. They commit a felony, right? I mean, they ruin a, a, a neighbor's house in a really small town, Capernaum, so everybody knows, and interrupt the God of the universe while he's preaching a sermon. I mean, it's just all sorts yeah. of broken, but they were just so bold, and audacious to think we're going to remove all the obstacles that get him to Jesus. Kind of the big idea there is making it simple for people to connect to Jesus is actually really hard work, right? And so this, we use this word simple. It doesn't mean easy. It just means simple. It means we remove the obstacle, but there's some real work in that, which usually leads me <clears throat> to the third one, you know, which is this Acts 15. And, you know, it's been four years ago. One of the, uh, I came from a, you know, a really large church and I was in the middle of a staff meeting and, uh, the the senior pastor there uh, was uh, talking about just like the you know the watershed battle Saratoga type turning point moments in the Bible mm-hmm. of where everything changed and he's like so uh, can anybody in one word describe where everything changed in in the scriptures and I mean I literally you know there's sixty people in the room yelled circumcision just as loud as I could and I was and he looked at me like. What? And I wasn't trying to be funny, and people thought I was the quirky guy, and that's like, oh, that's so funny, ha, ha, ha. And so every time there'd be like an awkward moment for, for the next year, or not every time, someone would just yell that because it just made sense that that's how we engage the awkward moments. But I was 100% uh, sincere in going, no, no, this is the moment that changes everything in the gospel. This is. Now, we got all these big moments in terms of Holy Spirit does the work. But this is the time when the 
senior leaders come together and they come to a very important conclusion that they don't think it, we should make it difficult for those coming to faith, right? Like it is, right. this is the moment that goes, we're not adding anything else to the gospel. If anything, we are going to start subtracting all the junk that people thought was part of, you know, the religiosity that got you back to God. And so right. to me, it is, it is watershed moment. Like this is it. Like all of a sudden it's going, this was a big obstacle i promise you for the gentile dudes who were wanting to lead yeah. their families like hearing the holy spirit come into their lives right and and this being that big roadblock where they're going this doesn't make much sense to me i thought it was grace uh, through faith right not through right. my behavior and this next law or rule <clears throat> so it's, it's it's hard for us i think 2000 years later to get the significance of this but this was a huge huge moment in yeah. the inclusivity of the of the the Christian church. Yeah. Yeah, so I feel like there's <coughs> like as we've talked about and you can watch these messages online if you go to our website clcfamily.church/media, you can see all the past ones, but one of the things that we talked about just last week or even the week before, I, I don't even remember, is just this new idea of that Gentiles can now come to the faith, right? Like this is Paul's ministry, this is what what God is doing. He kind of drops and lowers the sheet saying, rise, Peter, kill and eat, you know, what I've called clean, don't call unclean. And so Gentiles are coming to the faith. And that's how we get to Acts 15, where there's this council. So all of these Gentiles are still continuing to come to Christ. And that, if you haven't watched, I would encourage you to watch the message or listen to the message. But, but that's where this debate comes up. Is circumcision required for these Gentiles that are now coming to the faith? Like, should they have to or should they not? And basically, it's this discussion, this kind of working through this process. And, and it's interesting where they land. Um, but I, I thought what was, what was good, you kind of mentioned this in the beginning, I'd say maybe even as a teaser. Like what you said was that, you know, sometimes we can lose sight of the mission because we value tradition. And, I, and one of the first questions that I thought of is going, okay, well, then what is a good marriage of the two? Or is there a good marriage? Like, because what I don't hear you saying is, okay, every tradition that we've ever had, you need to pitch it. Like it's gone. Tradition's terrible. Like, I don't think that you're that guy, but also we have to understand that the mission is more important than the tradition. So uh, I guess my question became just that. Well, what is a good marriage of tradition <clears throat> and mission look like? Yeah. So there are some neat things there. Uh, one uh, in a seminary class, ah, 15 20 years ago now, 15 years ago, um, uh, the, the professor, it's Ergen Kainer at, at Liberty, um, he was trying to describe the difference between traditional and traditionalism, right? And okay. um, I, I don't want to get into like the semantics of that. I think there's two different definitions you can use for tradition that I think uh, the litmus is which one of these uh, fits your definition, right? And so one is standing okay. <clears throat> on the living faith of dead men, right? So people who've died beyond us, before us, we stand on the faith of them, right? We stand on the shoulders of the saints that went before us, right? There's some things yeah. that we celebrate in that, right? Like that's why it's important to me that we celebrate 1726. Not that everything was yeah. perfect in 1726, boy was it not, but we celebrate that when God began then, he's completing a good work, right? And we can hmm. look at that in our whole world. We can read it in the scriptures that when God begins, he completes a work. You know, it doesn't mean in the beginning it's it's completed. Boy, is it not, right? So there's something about celebrating those things. I don't want us to lose sight of where we came from. 
And, you know, like, I don't want to lose sight of yeah. those things. It's like even in a family. Yeah, we're all broken, but I don't want to lose sight of your your heritage. There's something there. So standing right. on the right. living faith of dead men, meaning the people who went before us, they died, and now we're proclaiming the goodness, and we're walking forward, right? As I think yeah. about being good stewards of even an outdoor service or a, a stage, I am mindful that, or, you know, this, the show will I am mindful that people sacrifice their preferences, in order for us to move forward on these things. And so that is, we want to honor that. We want to live a legacy of that. Even when you look at the Old Testament, <clears throat> the idea of these 12 stones for Israel, right? Um, I think uh, Gary even talked about this on Memorial Day. This idea that like we should yeah. set up memorials to remind ourselves of what God has done, right? I love singing old hymns. And by that, I mean old praise songs written hundreds of years yeah. in the past to celebrate the living faith of Dead men. I, I met with uh, the pastor at White Clay Presbyterian Church last week, just a buddy, Scott Vance, and uh, we were down in Newark. And White Clay Presbyterian Church is about five years older than us. But right mm. next to its property is this big hill, H-I-L-L, right? Hill and a uh, hill, hill. I don't want to get us distracted from that. Where George Whitfield stood up and preached to 8,000 people. 8,000 people, right? 8,000 people without a microphone. And it was the beginning of this big national great awakening, right? Right there at our sister's church, right? That kind of thing. And so how do we celebrate God's work throughout the ages in all this stuff, right? And so that would be tradition for that sense, celebrating the living faith of dead men. Now, this is why I like overtime. I can't preach all this on a Sunday right. or Saturday or Friday. We're 60 minutes and 40 minutes, you know, uh, online and in person or 70 minutes even and so you got that piece now the other definition for traditional which i think where ergen kane already used the word traditionalism and i forget the isms it's um celebrating uh the dead faith of living men right mm -hmm. so celebrating the living faith of dead men that's one way to view tradition we celebrate it we stand on the shoulders of we sing the songs we celebrate those things right we we do right um, and then the other side would be uh, celebrating the dead faith of living men, meaning we are celebrating this mundane thing, this task that people now added to the gospel. And these are living people whose faith has died because they've no longer put their faith in the, the God of the universe. They've now put the faith in themselves and their ability yeah. to perform, right? And so I think when you think about those things, you go, well, what are you clinging to and why? Right? Like, yeah. why? Why? What is it? Is this because it makes you feel good? Right, well, right. the goal of, you know, these practices isn't to make you feel good. Jesus is the one who does that, right? The right, goal of these right. things is to be reminded of God's faithfulness throughout the ages. So I think that is kind of where you have to get, I mean, it's like so many other things. It's like, uh, you know, uh, the Ten Commandments says don't covet your neighbor's wife, things, whatever. It'd be really easy to pretend on those things, right? The same thing with Ananias and Sapphira versus Barnabas. They do the same thing. Right. And, and without the heart, you don't really know, right, these things. And so I think um, the, the gray area is so much of tradition we have to actually filter through our right. own soul and motivation. And so big, yeah. long answer to really the question of, is this helpful for the movement of the gospel to go forward? Hmm. Really that simple. Is this helpful? Is singing this song, uh, doing these things, is it helpful for people to be 
to help people be close to Jesus and know him better and see him as Lord and see him as where all of our hope and salvation comes from. That's the case. Then yeah. let's keep doing it. If not, so then let's throw, throw it in the trash. Yeah. So I feel like I want to ask a question that kind of brings me to another question of that. So what do you do if, if there's a disagreement in that? Because one of the things that we see in verse two is that it, there was a disagreement amongst the believers, right? So Paul and or Saul and Barnabas are saying, hey, no, it's not needed. But then there's a group that says, yes, it is needed. And then even uh, this wasn't necessarily part of the message. But even as you look, I think, towards the end of 15, then on a separate issue, Barnabas and, and Saul or Paul then have a disagreement and then they split ways. So yeah. I guess my question kind of transferring from that of going, OK, how did you distinguish between mission and tradition? What do you do in disagreements? Is Are disagreements healthy or good? Or what do you do if, if one says, hey, this is the mission, but the other one says, no, I think that's tradition. How do you, how do you handle that conflict? Because that's what we see. Oh, so this is beautiful. And I just candidly, if you're watching this, you should, would be really excited to know what's going on with our elders right now. Like we are literally working through what does it mean for our, what's our mission? Make it simple, people to connect to Jesus and one another, right? What is our vision? To see every single man, woman, and child within 10 miles of our church be able to accept or reject the claims of Jesus, right? That they can hear them. Nothing else to them but hear those claims, right? And, you know, and so how do we start doing those things? And what is our strategy in that? Well, we want right. to build excitement. Every week we want to open up the Bible and declare Jesus as Lord and hope people get excited about it. Then we want them to build foundations, right? How do we actually start learning about Jesus and becoming more like Jesus? And then we want to build bridges, right? And so we've been sorting through that for years. And candidly, uh, that's why I was drawn to our church. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I was a, a senior pastor of a church plant. We saw lots of really great movement and stuff. And I was suspicious that I um, had hit a lid on leadership and thought I needed... Um, and I had some longings to see more churches planted. And so went and did kind of a three-year stint at a megachurch, oversaw a multi-site, and um, liked the model there. But one of the things I noticed there, and this isn't a shot of them, it's um, I think there's some danger. And, and uh, that, uh, this could be my personality too, so I'm not, I'm not shining my mouth. I think there's some danger that this could be charismatically driven and led by a person who um, is pretty convincing are charismatic in terms of their ability to invite people and convince people to be a part of things. Frankly, mm -hmm. it's embarrassing to say, I got very few gifts, but that's probably one of them. Being able to communicate where we're going and get people to come along, right? And so I love that. And it's one of the things I think God has wired me for. I think that's part of the apostolic gifting, gifting you see in Ephesians 4, just kind of how it falls with me. But the danger there is if it's all senior dude, charismatically driven, you know, one person, then this right. gets really gray. And where it gets the most yeah. gray is once, um, I just want to say my computer's dying. Let me plug it in. But where it gets gray is usually where you see it, uh, particularly in like church plants, is about a decade in. Yeah. Because when what happens is the church is moving and it's doing all sorts of stuff. But then what happens is the senior leaders go, well, these are the things we really like about the church. Here's the songs. Here's the, you know, that maybe it's about the crazy videos or just a certain, you know, uh, paradigm that, that they yeah, live in, right? right? So it's um, protect the weekend at all costs, right? It's all about the weekend services. It's all about the show, right? This, uh, what you see from a couple decades ago is a bunch of uh, church planners who came out of student ministry who basically just said, let's do student ministry for adults. And now... Yeah. 
here's where it goes. And then you got all these millennials going, yep, not really interested in the pizza parties. I can do that at my house. I can play my own Nintendo, right? And so <laughs> what you see is you see these senior leaders kind of gravitate to their preferences and what they like and what their demographic likes, right? And okay. so they, they kind of cling to those things because they've had some experience where it works. And that just becomes kind of the, the pigeonhole by which the, the church mission operates in. And so as I uh, – and what you see mostly at church plants is uh, the older they get, the more you recognize they look a lot like their senior pastor. Right. So mm-hmm. if the senior pastor was 30 when he started the church, probably a lot of young families. But as the church grows, you know, mid 40s. Now you look at a church as a bunch of, you know, if it's a white senior pastor, a bunch of 45 year old middle aged empty nester white people. Right. Like that's just what the picture ends up looking like because of the way by which the model is built around the preferences of the guy who started the model. And so I was pretty aware of that as a church planner in Georgia and going, all these people look like me. They're all in the same age. It's a lot of fun. I had all my friends. But. It's not what heaven's going to look like. So you got that piece. Yeah. And so as I was praying through and going, okay, God, where do you want our family long term? Um, and I, I mean, I really got to handpick the type of church I was looking for. Not that I, you know, I, I mean, we were pretty intentional and only sent the resume a couple places. But what was really important to me there, and long answer, but I think it's important that we understand this, is that um, I really like the Presbyterian model. Um, the word Presbyterian literally is the Greek word for elder, right? So it just means that it's a plurality of elders. By the way, the word elder and the word pastor are used, um, you know, synonymously throughout the scripture. So these are these are uh, lay people and, you know, occupational pastors who feel the burden for the church collectively, not individually. So it's not one senior leader who's doing it. It's a collective group of elders. And so as we started trying to figure out, okay, where do we go? What I knew I wanted to be a part of was something in the Presbyterian model, meaning a plurality of elders. So I can't screw it up. I can't just be my preferences. I knew it was going to annoy me. And at times it has, right? Because I like my way. I want to do it a certain way. More than liking my way, I like the expedition of it. this stuff, right? Some of that definitely slows it down. And so uh, so we knew that the, I believe the elder model was the, the best option in that. And, you know, that scripturally, you can see that it happens here. And even in Acts 2, it goes, oh, we disagree. So what do they do? They take their church leaders and they send them back to where the elders are, right? There's this a headquarters for elders at this point. Eventually, they're going to get distributed, but this is a brand new church, right? And so they go back and they sort through that collectively, not individually, right? And so I right. think right. that would be the piece of going as we wrestle through tradition for the sake of tradition versus we honor where we've come from. And we leverage the resources of where we've come from for the sake of moving forward with the mission, right? So we don't hold on to tradition. We hold on to mission. And therefore, we bring together a group of people to sort through that. And so I think that's where I love um, where the church is, right? And and particularly even our church of going, nope, we have a group of people who, by the way, don't agree, who um, don't always uh, believe that the mission should go the same way or the strategy should be the same. We struggle with how to spend money, how fast to move, how much to communicate, um, how much to respond to criticism, how much to respond to people's preferences. Like it is, there are hefty meetings as we sort through these things. But what I like about it is there's this collective Holy Spirit lives in us, Holy Spirit's around us. God leads that, this collective agreement that we all want to make it simple for people to connect to Jesus and one another. So right. we, we begin with that and then sort through what is my personal preference? 
right? Like even as we sorted through this LED screen, I remember going into the elders meeting going, guys, I know this is crazy. And here's the deal. I can convince myself of anything once I kind of think about it. So let me just lay that out there, guys. I think we should do this, but I don't want it to be a spin where I try to convince you. I'd love for you guys to pray, sort through what is it the Lord could be doing in this season right now that would help us make it simple for people to connect to Jesus and one another. So long answer, short question. Um, the solution to that is not found in um, expedition, and it's not found in singular voices. It's found yeah. with godly people full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, who love God's church and love his mission more than anything else in this world. Yeah. Those things it, you figure out. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah, I was just going to say, and it very much, as you read through 15, it very much seems like that God used this dispute to ch- to change things and and if it was just individuals but collectively they come together and they try to discern god's will it seems as if god can use disputes like he can use i feel like everything to bring about his will to bring about his glory and it just seems like that even later on in 15 which we didn't get time to read yeah. through but as paul and and barnabas split up well that means that there's more missionary teams that now go out so it's amazing how God can even use that. Absolutely. Paul needed to go and he wanted to take Silas with him. That makes sense. There is a speed yeah. and um, an agility they brought. John Mark uh, wasn't there yet. And yet God was yeah. prepping him to give us a really beautiful gospel, right? The yeah. gospel of Mark, we believe. He wrote, what else is really neat about Acts chapter 15? Again, we don't get to cover all this. I wish I could. Yeah. Tanya, I think we're probably, uh, David Platt does some secret church stuff where they just lean okay. in for eight hours at a time. Like I just wonder if at the beginning or the end of a series and we just go, hey, everybody come. If you want to come, come at right after dinner, seven o'clock, and we're just going till one in the morning. We're just going to mm-hmm. just, I'm just going to share with you all and then get shared. Not everybody that would want to do it, but there's just so much good stuff. Like even in this conversation, they come out and, and you know, later in Acts 15, it says it seemed to us in the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Right. It's like, so these guys go in, they wrestle through it and go, do you understand this is going to upset a lot of people, especially the yeah. dude yesterday who just got circumcised. You know, it's like right, right. it's like when you pay full price for something and then the next day it gets discounted by 50%. You're not yeah. excited for everybody else, right? Yeah. Just, you know, that's just that's so disappointing, right? And so you get, you yeah. know, and so this they're going, hey, there's going to be some people really upset and rightfully so. Because some of us just told them yesterday they need to do this and now today we're going to go and go, up, oh, psych, can't put yeah. that back on, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, so it is. So there are literally people going to be healing from the pain of this who are yeah. going to hear this news. And so it's like, ah. And so they get together and work through it. And then they come and they don't go, we are 100% confident. We right. have heard from the Lord. It's going, collectively, we're hearing each other. The Holy Spirit is in us. And it seems to us in the Holy Spirit, right? So this idea that we need 100% clarity and even 100% unity around any kind of, or, you know, unanimity around something. It's more, how do we collectively pray and ask the Lord right. to speak? And then we come out of it going, guys, it seems to us like a Saturday night service would be helpful for the next year, right? It yeah. seems to us like well, yeah. we shouldn't make it difficult for people coming to the faith. And so we're going to try to create some new avenues by which people can hear the these words. If we want every single man, woman, and child right. in our area to be able to accept or reject these claims, then we got to help them understand these claims, right? Yeah. And so it seems to us that this would be the next step. And so I think that's the piece of how we sort through it. And one of the things I would ask our church to do is, as uh, we're going to 
elect some new elders in August, mm-hmm. September, our church gets a voice in that. They'll, uh, yeah. uh, we will, you'll select a nominating committee, and then that nominating committee will get together and create a slate of 10 to 15 people, and then we will put those in front of you. We haven't done that well over the last couple of years, or I don't know, however long. I don't want to, you know, uh, you know, this. Yeah, it doesn't matter. But so we want to make sure we do that so that people can go, yep, I think these are people full of faith, full of wisdom, and full of the Holy Spirit. So that when when decisions are made or uh, traditions are canceled, whatever that is, not, that's the goal in any way, you can at least go, nope, I trust that God lives and breathes and moves in these people. Right. You want to know who our elders are? You can go uh, to the website at any point, and there's a bio of each elder in this. They go, that's right. What I hope happens is you get some confidence that that there is a plan. And where I've probably messed yeah. it up for us is this caricature that I joke about all the time that I'm ready shoot aim, right? And so I like yeah. it. I think it's funny. Um, even Peter I would describe as the same. But the reality is it, it's just that, a caricature. There's never this yeah. like, oh, let's just, let's just open up the gun and start firing and see what we hit. I process fast, and I think a lot about these things, and our staff thinks and discusses a long time before these even brought to the elders. We, and right. so there is a, a real intentional desire to please the Lord in stewardship of everything he's given us. And so yeah. um, as we sort through it, what I would just challenge and encourage and even exhort our church with is, hey, we, we do take all this serious. Your elders lose sleep over this, and we literally are going to the Lord going, we just want to please you. We want your church to be all that you made it to be. So I hope that yeah. would just build some faith of how we how we're doing that around here. So right, for what right. it's worth, I think that that would yeah. be like the answer. I Long feel like answer. as we look at, at at verse nineteen, where it says it seems right to us and the Holy Spirit, like to not make it difficult for the Gentiles to come to faith. And I I can't help, and I've been privileged to be able to see some of those discussions at some of those elder meetings, and. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, like it's just interesting to watch because there's different voices, there's different sides, there's different thoughts. And it's amazing how as that comes together, how it seems like God is moving and working, like even even in the, hey, I'm voicing this thought or this concern. But I also at the same time, I feel like maybe this is what God is leading us to or even the opposite of that. It's just incredible to see how that works. But oftentimes, because I've seen how I feel like God can move in a collective discerning group. Um, I've often wondered in verse 19, I wonder what the vote was like, you know, was it like nine to two or was it like, I've often wondered what that vote looked like for that, that council that was in Jerusalem there uh, that was meeting with the believers. Um, And so with that, uh, I feel like you've already touched on, I want to get to mission and vision. But before I, I do that, one of the things that you said is that as they've come to this decision, it seems to us and to the Holy Spirit to not make things difficult. You made some pretty, pretty like uh, bold claims. And what you said was that um, if we add anything to the gospel, then what we're saying is that what Christ did on the cross wasn't good enough. And then that makes God a psychopath because he was willing to kill his son for something that wasn't needed. So I, I didn't know if there was anything more that you wanted to talk about, because if you're Maybe if you're sitting on the outside or maybe you're just kind of halfway listening, that could be a statement that you're like, wait a minute, what did he just say? Like, is there anything more that you want to expound on? Yeah, there's a lot to think about. Like, even when we talked about, I don't know, was it last week, the week before we talked about criticism and Cornelius and and then kind of led to truth is not some idea or like something that we live our own truth. Truth is a person. And we look at John chapter 14, verse six, where it says, I am the way, the truth, and life. And 
there's some really poor exegesis that some people like in the the universalist kind of idea would say, no, no, if you really look at the Greek and parse it out, they're wrong. And I'm not trying to be offensive here. It's just, it's just not true. That it doesn't say Jesus is the way. It says he is an a way, right? And it's like, and so this whole idea of even like this universal, God, there's one God and every, you know, I'm like, I, I can't even get there. I mean, I believe there's one God, but I don't think just because you worship a creator God, you're worshiping the God of the universe because the God we worship made a way where there is no way, right? So the God we worship yeah. gave us Jesus. No other God gives us Jesus, right? And so if the God we worship gives us Jesus, then we have to sort through what we do with that because of how he gives us Jesus. When we talk about how he gives us gives us Jesus, he gives us him on a altar, right? He sacrifices yeah. him in front of us. And so the idea that Jesus could be a way is so broken if you really think about it and go, Really, if there's any other way, you doing that to your kid, yeah. right? Like, yeah, right. Uh, yeah. guys, you know, there's like a hundred ways for uh, you to get back to me, but uh, one of them is going to be by me killing my son. So let me do that right. one just in case, right? So, um, so you got that that real, you know, situational complication of going. Well, he does this, so let me talk about how he does it or why he does it. Just a second, this is not the message, and this is some new thoughts I'm working through. Um, so this is brand new material. It'll end up in a sermon at some point because I think it's pretty profound. Um, even with what we're looking at in terms of our world and rewriting history and, you know, canceling people who had brokenness in their life, did broken things. I mean, so glad that the, the first century doesn't do that because we don't have Paul, right? Like in this, oh, this is who Paul was and this is who he is. If this wokeness means he can't, you know, uh, be in the movement anymore and needs to be canceled, we're in big trouble. And so going back and looking at kind of our past to cancel our present as a result. And like, even as we look at, I mean, there's all sorts of things to think about indigenous people and what happened in, you know, colonialization of America. And there's this kind of this, this kind of belief system that, uh, you know, Europeans who came to America were the worst people in the world. They enslaved people, yet horrible part of the culture, terrible, but it wasn't just, you know, Europeans in America that did that, or, you know, Europeans come in and um, they, you know, they, they have this big conquest over Native Americans. Yep, true, terrible. But it wasn't like this the first time this happened. You could go back to the Aztecs. Yeah. You can go back to all these different things and the way by which territory was taken, right? Since the beginning of time, other than like maybe the last hundred years, is through shed blood, right? Yeah. So people would die and then, you know, they would be beaten to submission. I mean, you can read it. Some horrible things throughout history and every ethnicity, you know, um, would be that um, shed blood had to happen for new territory to be taken, right? So we get that. We understand it. We don't agree with it. We rewrite it, all that kind of stuff. But what we do understand there is throughout history, the way that people were able to conquer was actually through shed blood. Right, so shed blood leads to new territory. Well, if that's the case, well, what territory do you think God wants to take back? Yeah, our hearts. Okay, yeah. if we read through our human history, how territory was taken, then it's through shed blood. Hmm. So the idea that the God of the that's universe good. could take us back through shed blood, but He's perfect and loving, and He's not as broken as the Europeans or you know the Aztecs or. Whoever, whatever the category is you want to talk about in that moment, right? He's not, or the Mayans, man, you can read some stuff there, right? So if you, um, he's not, he's, he's perfect, but shed blood's how territory is taken. And so the idea that God would take us Mm. back through shed blood makes sense to, Mm. throughout human history, 
What doesn't make sense is the way by which he does is he takes it from his own son, not through the other people to beat them into submission. Right? right. And so this is a whole new paradigm shift. Our world is starting to get it. They're just trying, they're starting to get it without the gospel. And okay. so this idea that that if God were to do that and there were any other way, like even if it were hard, even if it meant all of us had to run a hundred miles a day for the rest of our life, if there is a way that human people, like the same human people who can, you know, put you know, a terabyte of memory on a fingernail, right? Of storage. I mean, it's just amazing what can happen. Or can create electric cars or get things to land on Mars or the moon. Like those humans with that capability, if there if there's any any option out there. If there's something Elon Musk could discover that could get us back to God, then why in the world would God kill his son? So therefore, yeah. this goes, the minute you add anything else to this, the minute it's whatever it is, prayer, fasting, dressing a certain way, what you are saying is that what Jesus did on the cross is not enough. And the minute you go, what Jesus did yeah. on the cross is not enough, what you're saying is there are ways we can earn our own salvation. And if there are ways yeah, we can earn our own right. salvation, then... Jesus isn't the way, he's a way, and if he's a way, then his dad is crazy. Yeah. And if his dad's yeah. crazy, then we're all in big trouble, because why in the world do we <laughs> worship this perfect, loving, and gracious God who's slow to anger, rich in love, right? That God. And so I just think we would never communicate it that way, but so much of our fundamentalism yeah, right. and the, the, the things that we add, in, particularly in the church world, are communicating that. I just wanted to play the tape all the way out and go, here's what you're really saying, even yeah, though you're right. not saying it. Here's what you're really communicating to your own right. soul, to your kids' souls. Like, as we add stuff to the gospel, we're telling our kids that Jesus, what Jesus did wasn't enough. That's what we're just saying. Yeah. That's good. Uh, Boy, I that's appreciate devastating. you yeah. unpacking that. Yeah. Um, so as we talk about that, so that's, that is our, our mission, and our vision to make it simple, for, uh, to, to make it simple for people to connect to God and to one another. Like that is what we strive for as a church. That's what we're going for. Um, and with that, you did talk about this screen that we're going to get. I didn't know if that was something that you wanted to talk more about and any of the vision or the ideas that we have of that or how that helps kind of, especially in this season of COVID that we're in or, or Post-COVID, I don't even know. It feels weird to say post-COVID because we're still in the middle of it, but we're green, but even green, there's some restrictions. So I don't know. Was there anything that you wanted to share about our vision of making it simple to connect uh, to people, uh, to connect to God and one another in light of this screen and how we landed on purchasing this? Yeah, so uh, a couple weeks ago, we put it before session and it took a meeting, several uh, email correspondents kind of walking through. I mean, literally, we we're creating pictures of what it could look like on our property. We're having renders drawn. I mean, we're doing it ourselves. We're not paying money for these things, right? And trying to imagine how to use this. And um, so what became kind of the highest level of how do we make sure, as we read the book of Acts, that the word of God continues to spread, right? Yeah. So in light of the coronavirus spreading, it's trans. Forming how the church works, right? So if you're following church trends, which I don't know if you are, I am, uh, buddies across the nation and just seeing the metrics. Post-COVID, like right now, uh, reopening, 10 to 40% of pre-COVID church attendance is coming back. So that means if there's 100 people in a church, now there's 10 to 40 people coming to it. If there's 1,000 people, that's now a 100 to 400 person church. Um, just in light of these things, and a lot of this has to do with... Um, 
just real concern, uh, which is great. We should have concern for our own lives and definitely the lives of the people we really care about, right? Yeah. Right. And so as we sort through all that, we go, well, what do we do? We have this online option and it's really good and we'll continue to do this in perpetuity, like just part of it. But what about people who actually want to come and engage in worship, right? And, you know, there's don't forsake the gathering of the believers or something in the scriptures. That's right. really, really important. And so in light of our world, how do we help people gather and worship? That's kind of the, the big question, particularly if, you know, we have some exemption as it relates to the green phase in Pennsylvania. And yet we want to be really honoring to our government and right. be right. intentional. And this isn't about liability. I, candidly, I don't care about what we're liable for. I care about doing what's right or what's wrong. Right. right. And so, Knowing that we have a lot of people that are and will stay kind of in that red phase. Nope, just stay in put, right? Who still would like to engage with our church. And so we just began imagining what would that look like to be able to help them engage long term. And so at the highest level, the decision had to do with how do we make sure people can hear the gospel and how do we help people yeah. be able to come to our um, property and be able to participate in, in what Jesus is doing, right? How do we create a footing on this side of the ravine that's welcoming and caring? And so as you survey what's going on in the world, it looks like most things are moving outdoors right now. Most things are just moving yeah. outdoors because, I mean, you even got issues with HVAC and this coronavirus that they're sorting through how all of it spreads. And so outdoors yeah. seems to be the most advantageous thing. Well, the problem with outdoors is how do you actually offer any kind of visual supplements? How do you help people see lyrics? How do you help kids engage with videos? All those kind of things. And how do we help get it in front of people? And so that's where the kind of the, at the highest level was how do we make sure that in moving forward, even for people who want to gather, feel safe gathering inside, that we don't exclude our church family or people who, um, who aren't quite ready to enter a church building. So this isn't just COVID-related. Right, right. It's like, hey, I'm curious what's going on in there. But I'm not ready to do it. Like we literally have people on our elders whose family members came to faith by sitting out in the parking lot of the church while their spouse yeah. went into the church to hear the gospel. They're just listening to it over the, you know, the loudspeaker. So yeah. is it possible that guy could do that? Well, yeah. So then how do we yeah. remove the obstacles to do that? And so as we just sorted through it, it just seemed like it was a a, a next good opportunity for us to be able to, you know, share this with other people. And we understood the expense. We started wrestling through, well, how do we, how do we be good stewards of this? Okay. If we use it every week, that's pretty valuable. What else can we do with it? And then we started thinking about movie nights and I joked about, and I'm not joking, but about the Philadelphia Eagles games and be able to yeah. create more ways to engage our community. We also go into Lincoln university and we go into, you know, Oxford to be able to go with these kind of things. And to be honest with you, um, revenues may, uh, be an issue at some point, like, and so as giving goes down or whatever it is, you sort through it going, okay, is this something we could actually be a good steward of to, to rent locally at a good rate and be responsible? So as we just sorted through all that, it just seemed good to us that this would be the next right step. We are not going back to where we came from. There is no new normal. We're kind of shaping it. So this yeah. isn't about us trying to be the first to market or chase after the shiny objects. It just seems like this is the next right step and going, how do we make sure the gospel continues to get to people's ears and then everything else yeah. is just you know grace to us how do we add more things to it and so that was that was literally the conversation uh that happened with our session of going it, we know it's expensive we got to figure it out and one of the big things that came out of that is going well uh, if we're going to spend this money let's figure out how to be a good steward of it all the time so maybe we right. should figure out a way to make it completely mobile 
and not like a, yeah. on a permanent foundation. And so then we started coming up with ideas with a you know a mobile trailer and a car lift and welding and fabricating. And so again, that all came through session, just wrestling through. Okay, what is it the Holy Spirit could be doing here? And so yeah. complicated, but that's where you end up. And I kept saying, I kept saying, guys, I know this is crazy. And one of the elders actually stopped and goes, Josh, this isn't that crazy. And I'm like, no, no, it's yeah. crazy. And he's like, no. All across and in all the different industries, people are having to adjust the way that they respond post-COVID. Right. And so, right. and I, I love, I think it's Thomas Jefferson, maybe it's one, one of the founding fathers says, it matters a method, flow like a river, and matters mm-hmm. a message, stand like a rock, right? Yeah. The message is Jesus. So that yeah. is what we're going to hold on to. But matters a method, boy, we don't know. We don't know the best way to help people engage in the gospel. We just know Jesus yeah. wants the gospel in people's ears because he wants to transform people. So this seems to be a way by which we can do that. So that's yeah. kind of how, that's how it played out. So that's where I feel like we've landed as a church. But I also really love you asking the question of each of us. And I think we have to ask ourselves that same question is, well, what does it mean for me? Like, what does it mean for you specifically to to make it simple that people can come to Christ, like to not add anything to the gospel? I think that that's really good and important to do. You made mention in the, in the message, you said, you know, found people, find people and save people, serve people. Um, so how do you make it simple for people to connect to Christ? I think that's really good. And I don't know if there's anything more to talk about, but I just think that that's a really good question. And and we're, we've got a few moments left. Um, I do want to get on to Acts chapter 17 as well, uh, briefly. But uh, I think that's a really good place for you as a listener to kind of say, how am I, you know, making it simple for people to connect to God? How am I making it easy for people to not add anything that would take away or distract or add to what Christ has done so that people can come to know him? Yeah, and I think a good litmus there is just, what are the, what's the obstacle? Right. Like, yeah. what is it? What is the obstacle for your neighbor to know Jesus? Like, yeah. What is it like? Yeah. What's keeping him from that? Is that because he doesn't really understand the purpose of the church? Does he think it's a set of rules? Is that because yeah. he can't ride his car there? Is that because he's really nervous about it? Like, what are the obstacles? Right. And so there's yeah. some real solutions to the gospel. There's community. There's all these kind of things. So it's really just surveying going, okay. What is it that's standing in the way of my kid seeing Jesus? What is it that's standing in the way of my coworker getting seeing Jesus? And if it's me, how do I get out of the way? Right? If yeah. there's so I think it's really trying to see where Jesus is and try to see where people are and go, everything that's in the way has to be removed because we're not yeah. gonna make it difficult for them. They're gonna have to climb over things and dig under things and sort through things and have to bring their thesaurus and dictionary so they can understand the words we're using. Right. So we're going to have to what what is it? What are the obstacles? And I think that's the thing that we all are responsible for in our own own life. We're going, what obstacles are there and how does God want me to remove those obstacles? Yeah. Uh, so as we move on to Acts chapter 17. So basically um, what happens is, is Paul goes to Athens and you can kind of read about that. Um and he's, he engages the culture of Athens, right? And you said a couple things in that. Paul had compassion. He was listening. Um, he, he was studied. distressed by the amount of idols. Yep, that's what it says in the beginning. Yeah, so he's see, seeing the idols in Athens, and he's seeing kind of the significance of that, and he, he engages um, the people. So I, I guess in general, I, I have a specific question of how much we as believers should engage the culture, because I think there's two different sides of that as well, because you can be super conservative and go, dude, we're staying away from the culture. And I grew up homeschooled. So there were some people that really advocated, like have nothing to do at all with culture. 
And then how do I, I, as a believer, looking at the culture and understanding that it can be bad, how do we distinguish that? But just as a general, as Paul goes to preach at Athens, he, he kind of uses their their culture, he uses their idols to really kind of talk about God. And at the end of 17, you see that some people are interested, some people think he's crazy. And it's it's kind of amazing how he uses that. So I guess if you can answer my question, but then anything else that you wanted to add from Acts 17 as Paul embraces the culture on some level, and then how do we distinguish how much we should or should not engage in culture? Yeah. And so, yeah, I think it's really, yes, we should engage culture. Um, I mean, it's just part of the, the, the expectation of the gospel that will be his witnesses yeah. in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the outermost parts of the earth. When he's telling that to Jews, he starts listing a lot of places that aren't Jewish places, right? And so there is this idea that they're yeah. going there, right? He literally tells them at the end of, you know, the gospel stories, this is post-resurrection, not ascension yet. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. That means all nations, right? And so that doesn't mean some nations. That literally means all nations, right? So we have a responsibility to go. So that doesn't mean we wait. doesn't mean we cower. doesn't mean we cover. Yeah. It means we go. So there is there is a 100% expectation that that's part of what the church does, is it doesn't stay, it doesn't wait, it goes, yeah. right? Yeah. And so we, one of the things that we talk about, and uh, it's a, a cute term in like the, um, the missional sense, uh, it's the word exegete, like we exegete scriptures, that means we uncover all that stuff and we, you know, expound on it, show it, and help us understand it. But one of the neat things that, that you see in, you know, some, some, uh, seminary classes is what's called exegeting the culture, which is okay. actually going and figuring out what's going on in the culture. And what, my favorite class of all of seminary was during, uh, I don't know why I mentioned seminary so much today. It's just, I don't usually, but my favorite class in, in, in my, my last round, I, I think I've shared it before, was something called appreciate uh, ABCD and AI. So, so asset-based <laughs> community development and appreciative inquiry. That was the name of the class. Asset-based community okay. development and appreciative inquiry. inquiry. And it kind of goes around, uh, comes back from even like some thoughts from a long time ago from Marcus Buckingham of discover your strengths. Don't worry about your weaknesses. Lean into your strengths. And so it's kind of this idea that you should go into a community and not point out what's wrong with it, right? Or here's what you should fix. You think, actually see what's going well in it, right? Like, okay, yeah. what are the assets that are already based in this organization or this community to development, right? And then the other piece of that is the word appreciative inquiry. How do you go in and figure out what you can appreciate about the culture, right? And yeah. so this doesn't mean you see that that culture is the means to your end, right? That's The gospel literally has told us that that's not the case. So foundation, we have to understand that nothing in this culture is going to bring me satisfaction. Hmm. Nothing in this place that I'm going is going to be the thing that's going to fulfill me, right? And so if we get the gospel, we start there, but our job is actually to go in and um, uncover value in the people that we connect with, right? I don't say add value. John Maxwell says add value. I just don't think there's value we get to add. I think all the value is established by Jesus, but we sure can't uncover it. We sure yeah. can't help people see that. And so I do think as we think about our culture, we should go in and ask God, what can we appreciate about this culture, right? Like there's beautiful things in all sorts of cultures. For example, example, I don't, I think Islam is a false religion that and, and does damage to people because they're putting their hope in their works of their salvation. But there's some really neat stuff that um, Islamic, you know, uh, Muslims do as well, which uh, they are really, really cautious about debt. They're really, really high on family support, right? Those are actually things that 
God values, right? Like, yeah. So there's things that see there and go, yeah, yeah, that's really, really great. Really, really. There's the things I can appreciate about a culture and that isn't my culture. I can appreciate it and I can go into it and then see where they're still left wanting, right? Which yeah. they are. And so how do I go into a culture, love them where they are, find value in what God is doing there ahead of us, right? There's this thought, we don't use it in the Reformed community much, it's called prevenient grace. You know, to convene means to happen all at once. To prevene means it's happening ahead of time. What we got to believe, and I think this happened for Paul in Athens, is that God was there before Paul was, right? So God was already doing the work, and so it's going in and going, okay, what can I know about this, right? One of the things that Reverend Faison has shared with me is at Link University, what he appreciated about our um, relationship and what he does appreciate is it wasn't, we, I went in as a student, not like just as a student of tell me all this stuff. I went in already studying where our church's history was connected to Lincoln University's history yeah. and understanding those things that go, Hey, what you matters to you matters to me. And I've done the work ahead of time to actually learn about this stuff. And so this isn't yeah. fake. This isn't, let me pretend like I care. This is God, would you transform my heart and give me a passion for that culture, that history, yeah that place so it starts there it goes god would you actually make me care about these people would you help me to do that yeah. would you help yeah. me understand it and then would you give me the curiosity to go and spend time there because that's that's the way by which i get to engage and connect nobody minds talking about themselves or about yeah. their history so we just have to actually want to hear it and not go in with this fake hey tell me about this because we're looking for that angle so we can give them the gotcha moment, right? It's, yeah, how do I actually yeah. really, really care? So I think that's the piece that you see happen with Paul is he literally goes into this place. He's quoting their, like, their poets and their artists. Like, we're yeah. talking about from 600 years previous, right? Like, I mean, like, Paul is spending yeah. the hard time knowing these people because, why it says in the beginning, he's distressed. Like, he is sad. Yeah. He has compassion for the fact that they believe these idols are the thing that's going to solve their world. And he yeah. finally finds the uh, the extra idol, the extra thing going, oh, well, none of this has found it yet. So maybe this one, if we can figure out who it is, maybe this one will fix it. And Paul goes, this one can fix it. This one yeah. can. Then I, now that we've, you know, let me, let me share with you about this one. And the reason he shared is because he was invited to share. That's the important yeah. piece here. He was invited to share. Well, why was he invited to share? Because he was in their home. At, in their location, learning about their community, and he was invited to share from the other side. That's why we start with listening, right? So we can understand. There will be a day we'll be yeah. invited to share, and when we do, we ask the Holy Spirit to leverage that moment for us to share the good news of what Jesus wants to offer all people, including the people we're talking to. So, Yeah, that's good. Uh, well, I think we're almost about out of time. I guess it depends on when you decided to end the podcast. But uh, kind of wrap up with, or things that didn't quite make it on Sunday or Saturday that you wanted to share now. Um, yeah, I think I would have, I would have liked to have spent more time on helping people understand, like kind of the, how to how to live in the appreciative inquiry world, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and, I, and so I do think that that piece of, and I, and, I, and I've shared this before, and we'll share it a hundred times. The best advice I've ever been given about relational connection is to be curious, right? There's contemptuous versus curious, right? Those are exact opposite to be. Contemptuous means to you go in and judge a situation, judge someone's behavior. And a lot of that's happening right now. A lot of that's happening. Like we have already on, on all sides determined why someone already does the things that they do. But what yeah. if we're wrong, right? Yeah. What if people are actually doing what they're doing for a different reason than we think they are? 
And instead of just assuming we know why people act this way or do those things, like, uh, you know, like, and, and even making those big, blunt statements, you know, like one of the things that you hear right now, uh, particularly like in this vitriol towards African-American community is it's a fatherless community, right? And it's like, well, what good does that do to say that out loud? Even if that's what you believe is the reason some of this is happening, what would it look like to be curious about what that must feel like? Instead of just making yeah. some judgment from that, like be curious about what that must be like. Right? Yeah. And it says, seeing someone make a poor decision and, and feel good about the consequences of whatever that decision is. What would it be like to actually just be curious to how they might feel in this moment? And yeah. how rough their soul must feel to be able to do the things that they did in whatever category that is, right? Like there's just, yeah. there's just this lack of curiosity that leads us to be really judgmental. Mm. And it comes across as really arrogant, right? Mm. It just comes across as I know better, do better, have better, been better, will be better than you ever will be, as opposed to just mm. kind of walking to whatever it is. Like, so the next time your coworker kind of, you know, spouts out at you, the next time the person across the counter is really, really rude, Instead of just getting really irritated by it, just to pause for a second and go, hey, Lord, what can you show me about this? Yeah. How do I have yeah. compassion towards this, this person? Because I do believe that Paul's move in Acts chapter 17 is a result of it. I mean, it tells us he was distressed by the yeah. idols. Like he was distressed. And so could 